1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 16. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Would like you please to keep your Bibles open in the reading that Neil brought to us. And I want to put one question to you, which I hope that the passage of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 16, will answer. Uh, not so much my answer to the question, but... Um, this question which is going to come in front of you which is how would you explain the message of the cross to an unbeliever what I would like you to do just take about um, two minutes sometimes when you're sitting next to your husband you know exactly where they're coming from so try have somebody else quickly two minutes I'll come round with the mic so here you are you're in some sort of conversation maybe you've invited somebody perish the thought to come to a curry night you, you've got the conviction that you must ask somebody even out of duress from the church and you get into conversation and somebody asks about the cross and you have an opportunity to explain the message of the cross in conversation. How would you do it? Could you just do that for two minutes? I'll give you time out, then I'll ask questions.
Okay, that's your, your time is up. Hopefully, there will be one or two answers, even from the, the balcony. Paddy, would you mind roving around? That's if, well, it, yes, uh, well, let's just say, let's see. I tell you what, I, I know um, Ed's going to kill me for this, but uh, I sat next to him. Ask Ed's answer. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Explain it as uh, as being uh, love more than anything else, um, and to try and explain um, what the love of God is towards uh, towards us uh, and what it means to us personally, uh, before we can explain it to somebody else. It's good. Any other? So um, Ed went on to say about God taking our sin upon Himself and making it personal, which was which was good. Uh, any other? Do you want to put your hand up? Any other? Very quickly. Oh, here we are. That's good. He's from the Mall and Chicken. Watch, there's a good steak. I think um, just your own personal testimony in life brings across through in so many ways. Um, the grace of God bringing us from where we were to where we're at um, is pure testament to his love and, and, and forgiveness through that, you know. So. so just tell us your name again. It's Donovan. Right. Sorry? Donovan. Yeah, Donovan, thank you. Uh, so, Donovan, you would give start from your personal experience? I would, I would, I would okay. definitely would, because from where I was to where I am now and to what God's done in my life is, is, okay. is incredible. Okay, that's good. Any other? Yes, Chris, over here. Behind you. Depending on the context and who was talking to, I'd actually start with the history and say, actually, Jesus is somebody yes. who actually you know, existed. Right. And he died. He died, according to history. And then look at the responses of those who watched him die. Right. And say, well, is there something here? Right. Okay. Any other quick comments? The, yeah, well done, Steve. These savals were deep in thought. I'm sure they want to say something. <laughs> right. I think one, one point you have to bring out is that we cannot reach God on our own. Right. Because a lot of people think that we can and that we had to have someone else um, to, to bridge that gap. And who would we have? We have Jesus Christ, okay. who is God himself. Okay. Any other quick... Uh... All right. Let's have a go at it then, shall we? That's the question. Thank you, Paddy. Let's see now. Um, Neil said an interesting thing. He said it wouldn't harm if we finish a bit earlier tonight. Um, so, but, but, he's per- he, he's, but he's perfectly happy for us to, you know, go on a bit, a little bit. So, how... Would you explain the message of the cross to an unbeliever? We've thought of God's love. We want to put it into a context. We've thought personal testimony. And I'm sure if we had time, we would have a lot of other variations on on the same theme. If, and I hope seriously, that you have had opportunities and taken them, to talk to an unbeliever about the cross and ask yourself, how long has it been? Chances are it's been too long. If you have, here are some of the things that you will realize. You will soon realize that people don't get it. The whole point of this passage here is that they say to Paul that this is foolishness. You can't be serious. People don't get it. 
And here's another thing about the message of the cross. And if you've come to a living faith in Christ, you'll know it as I know it. And it's this, not only we don't get it, but often we don't like it. My sin on that cross, on that Savior, me. And often the reaction is, well, I'm as good as you are. We don't get it. We don't like it. And I know from my Christian experience before coming to faith, we won't have it. You can have a church background, praying parents, Christian friends, and deep down, actually, you won't have it. That you need to face your sin and come to a living faith in Jesus Christ and confess your need to him. So the response, if you, and maybe you'll think about this in other conversations in the future, I hope, that the response that you will have will vary from two, I suggest, two extremes. One, from total apathy to hostility. So what? And who do you think you are? Or people might say, well, if you think that you're weak and you need God's forgiveness, I don't. Thank you. And Paul faced that. It's exactly the situation that Paul faced. And so, whatever my thoughts, in a way, I want to now interpret or at least um, look at uh, this passage here to try to answer that question that we've we've paused just now. How would you explain the message of the cross to an unbeliever? And in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul discovered that people found this message foolishness. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. How do you explain the message of the cross? That's the question. Answer, the message of the cross is foolishness. But it's foolishness to certain types of people, the majority, I suspect, to those who are perishing. But in contrast, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, just stay with verse 18 as a springboard into the passage. There it is. That's the dilemma. That's the difficulty. If we... we, have the power of our conviction that we are going to talk to people. Or maybe you wear a cross. And uh, people would ask you, why why do you wear that cross? Um, And you have an opportunity to speak. But notice in verse 18 very carefully the dividing line. Try to see this. That this message of the cross, which we've asked, how would you speak to an unbeliever? This message of the cross has Two diametrically opposed results. Do you see that? It's so clear. Just let me read it again. For the message of the cross, which perhaps in discussion, not listening to a sermon as such with a colleague or whatever, or a neighbor, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's that's the first. But to us who are being saved in the process of the outworking 
of the love of God in our lives, it's his power residing within us. Two diametrically opposed results to the perishing foolishness. To the believing faith. Now you can't have two more polarized positions than that. But stay with that one verse. And I just want to tease this out because it is so important in the God willing, by the Spirit, the conversations you may have perhaps even this week when this sermon would come live to you in given situations. In verse 18, if you look at it very carefully, you will see that it's both polarized responses are in the present tense. Now, I don't want to get complicated. You know what that means? In the present tense. Now, stay with it. So, read it again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perished. They haven't perished. They are perishing. Okay? Which really means this. To those who are perishing, when we speak about the message of the cross that we can say with a sense of true conviction, it's not too late. It's not too late. It is not too late. The present tense for the believer who, God willing, understands the message of the cross, even if he or she finds it difficult to communicate that, and that's fair enough. Look, in the same tense, to those who are being saved, not to presume. And again, you've got two polarized attitudes. Paul was later, and if you turn, this is the, there's a cross-reference there. You just look at that in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And I think this is very challenging and perhaps a bit disturbing for those now who have embraced the message of the cross. Hopefully that's all of us here tonight. Hopefully. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, just, just look at this. Here, of course, it's being written to the children of Israel, their history, and so on and so forth. They've been given the covenant. They've been given the promise of God's goodness and grace and so on. And in the application in verse 12, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You believe, but let it not become a presumptuous belief. And this wonderful verse, which... I hope one of the first things I put to memory by becoming a Christian is this. In that context of me being saved is this. No temptation has seized you. Now that's a big sweeping statement, isn't it? Except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are, not if, when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that you can stand under it. Now, do you see what we're saying? We're thinking it's, just, it's not just raw evangelism. People who are perishing, people who are being saved. Sometimes, with genuine uh, desire, some teachers and preachers push too far eternal security. 
so that it becomes a sort of a doctrine of presumption. I can live as I like. I can do as I like. I'm saved. Well, that's a negation of everything that we read here. It is not a presumptuous faith. The message of the cross, it's a very powerful message, isn't it? So then, that's the introduction very quickly. What's the answer now, we've extended it, to believer and unbeliever alike in understanding the cross? Three things. The first, and I, I really think that perhaps we don't fully appreciate this enough. You explain the message of the cross to an unbeliever and, if you like, to an indifferent believer, a prayerless believer, if you like, by the Spirit's power, not by human words. That's our first heading. Where do we get that from? Come to the passage. Let's see this. And I hope that you can apply this. Maybe you've got unbelieving members of your family and you've wondered and you think, well, look, by the Spirit's power, not by human words. What a remarkable confession this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the message of the cross, clearly. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? Well, this is the rub. So that your faith might not rest on the cleverness of people to persuade you against your will, but on the power of God. You make a Christian, and for the rest of your life you'll have to carry him or her, because it's you a convert. But if by the Spirit of God something uniquely happens in the, in the heart and life of a believer, they will stand. Of course, like everybody, they will need encouragement and prayer and support with all the difficulties of living out faith in a hostile world and the devil snapping at our heels. We know that. So what Paul is saying is this. I'm no great preacher. And I've not got... Uh, a charismatic personality. And I'm no great orator. Some churches rate those things so highly in choosing leaders. Paul said, I haven't got that. So if it's not that, if it's not Paul's oratory or his words or his learning, what is it? That's a very good question, isn't it? What is it? Well, it's this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. And may I say this. This is why people praying together is a divine imperative. Uh, we are privileged to have the three of the leaders who were at the Missionary Weekend for lunch today. And I was interested to ask them in the different churches that they went to, what's the prayer meeting like? don't have one anymore. You can't help but wonder why. Why is this such an impoverishment of the transformation of the gospel? We've got so much at our disposal. 
Can't help but wonder why, can you? Why is prayer so vital in understanding the message of the cross? Why has it become the Cinderella of the evangelical church? It's a mute point, isn't it? So we must go on praying. And we must go on proclaiming. But there's a second uh, comment here. If it's by the Spirit's power, not by human words. Secondly, it's by the Spirit's persuasion. Not human wisdom. I'm often troubled, you know, do, do, do you need to become clever to become a Christian? It's a good question that the speaker asked us on Saturday, wasn't it? Christianity explored for people who read the sun. It's a good question. By the Spirit's persuasion, not by human wisdom. And so you see again, look at these verses 6 to 11. We're looking to make brief, brief comments, but it answers the question that we're looking at. We do, however, six, however, speak the message of wisdom among the mature, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who will come to nothing. No, not like that. Not human wisdom. No. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers, the movers and shakers, then and now of this age, understood it. They are very clever. They are privileged with public education and culture and old money and influence and the old boys' network of schools. And what? Apart from the work of the Spirit, those things that they place, clearly, but apart from the work of the Spirit, in terms of understanding the message of the Gospel, it comes to nothing. And that wonderful statement, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have done something so scandalous. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory because it's foolishness. However, a different perspective. No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We explain the message of the cross to believers and unbelievers by the Spirit's persuasion. Not by browbeating people with verbiage from the Bible necessarily. And in a sense, Paul's message was a very simple one. Not simplistic as such, but simple. Profound and powerful in its facts. Why? Well, people then and now understood the cross. How? By being persuaded with the Holy Spirit. You know the dictum, don't you? Persuade a man against his will. He's of the same opinion still. Exactly so. But let the Holy Spirit persuade somebody in their heart. You have a believer. If we make converts, God help us. 
We've got to carry them and be nice to them, see that they're not offended and, and cuddle them and all that stuff. But if our faith is rooted in the wisdom of God, not man, then we have something very profound and life-transforming. People then and now understood the cross by being persuaded but with the work of the Holy Spirit. And you see in verse 4 of our reading, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. They were persuasive, they were wise, but they were rooted in the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Not like that, but like this. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And the reason, and it is, I hope it comes, it shouts at you now. So that what? Your faith might rest not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. If your faith is resting on men's wisdom, then you're going to be a cripple. You have to be carried. And you're going to take the huff. And, and, and you'll be put off at the slightest inconvenience. But if you are so, what you used to call years ago, if you've had a conviction of sin and your only hope is Jesus Christ, then you won't be so easily put off or offended. That's for sure. I think it's rather pathetic, you know, when we keep looking for new ideas. Think that we will persuade people. Now, of course... We have to be contemporary and we have to work hard at that. Of course we do. But if we think in doing that that we've cracked it, we are wrong. We must do all that we can. But we must realize it is a work of God's Spirit. And praying for people is a powerful thing. And the last thing, as we think of this a missionary weekend and, and, and thinking of its impact upon us out there and in here. People reaching people. That's the essence of it, isn't it? So the third answer to this question is this. By the Spirit's presence. How do you define that? The Spirit's presence. Not by the world's way. And you have that in verses 12 to 16. And uh, you see where he says in verse 12... We have not received the spirit of the world. Not like that. He keeps saying that. Not like that, but like this. Not like that, but like this. Do you see it? We have not received the spirit of the world, but we have the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by by the Spirit. What's the difference? In some situations, I suspect it's the difference between faith and unbelief. The persuasive power of the Spirit. And do you see those series of contrasts? Not this way. But the Spirit. Not human wisdom, but divine wisdom. Now, of course, this has got to be worked out where we are. Cornerstone and, and Long Crendon as we work together, of course. And at what point the rubber hits the road is different at different times. But nevertheless, this is the case, isn't it? It's got to be. So each week, 
in our S-club for our teachers, with adventurers and Gap and Ducos and Rera and the Curry Night and the Women's Breakfast and personal conversation. It's the message of the cross. And to those who are perishing, it's foolish. To those who are believing, it's faith. What makes a Christian unique? What makes a Christian unique? Not necessarily education, though. Thank God that we have access to that. Or influence. Or culture. Or privilege. Or background. And all those things. Thank God for them. What makes a Christian unique is this. That you have indwelling within you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And it is incumbent upon us as Christians that we go on receiving Him rather than grieving Him. We receive His Spirit. And so he says in verse 13, This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Holy Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you've been in another country where you don't understand a word of the language, I remember 30 years ago going to Poland for a month and listening to people talk, no idea, no idea. Well, it would be like that, except you're talking English, you say, understand, no, no, this is the work of the Spirit. You have no idea. You don't get it. You don't like it. And you won't have it. Apart from humbling ourselves before the Lord, confessing our sin, and taking refuge in the cross, the power of the cross. Of course, we must not be discouraged. But to have confidence in the message of the cross. To have confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do that. And in your mind you can say, I know this is nothing to do with me now, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to say, that cross is my only hope in life. And my future beyond this life depends upon the power of the cross. That would, that would, that would make people think, you know. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just religion. How would you explain the message of the cross to an unbeliever, have a deeper dependence upon the power of the Spirit to make your words do what only the Spirit can do and to persuade in the way that only He can persuade.